Impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. It's your opinion, and I'll say no science shows. I say, yeah, how many times has science shows something's impossible, now science shows it's possible. It, things are impossible until somebody does it. And what I tell people is, you know, if you can just divorce the story of your limitation and marry the truth of your unlimited capacity, then the whole game changes. Impossible is not a fact. It's an opinion. And for how long have we been getting the opinions from doctors telling us that there is no cure for eye floaters? Either we're facing an invasive and dangerous procedure or are just going to have to live with them. But if you're anything like me, I'm assuming that answer hasn't been satisfying to you. And just living with your floaters, that's what seems impossible. We plead with our doctors, we research tirelessly. There, there has to be a cure, there has to be something. And time and time again, we are left with little to no hope. With relief appearing impossible. But as we just heard from the recording from Tony Robbins, Things are only impossible until someone does it. And what we are starting here today is a community of people who are going to do it. Eye floater sufferers who are ready to take a stand, who are ready to do something different, and are ready to do all it takes to find a cure. Because here at the Eye Floater Action Movement, we believe it is possible. And better yet, we have a plan. And step one starts with this podcast. Never before has there been one platform, one community, one united voice for sufferers. A place where we can be heard, not just by each other, but by the research community, by doctors, by the pharmaceutical industry, by Hollywood by the world. But that's about to change. My name is Jonathan Reed, founder of the iFloater Action Movement, and this is the iFloaters Action Podcast, soon to be home to the largest community of iFloater sufferers fighting for a cure. Fighting for a change, really. Because it's not just that there isn't a cure. There's very little agreed-upon information out there. It's confusing trying to figure out what's going on. Doctors often give little to no insight about our problem, mostly because there isn't a lot of research about this condition. The public knows virtually nothing about what we live through every day, and there's no unified effort to improve things. But we aim to change that. This may seem like a large task, and it absolutely is. It's going to take a lot of work and sacrifice, but you know, the more sufferers I talk to, the more pain and loss that I hear, the hobbies people are giving up, the travel plans people are abandoning, the, the jobs some are having to quit even, the hit that this has taken to the quality of life to so many. I really want a cure for me, but I desperately want a cure for them. And we've come up with a plan to give this a much higher chance at becoming a reality. But before we go over that, I, I wanted to take a few minutes to introduce myself to you and, and tell you my story, how 
how I got these nasty floaters myself and, and why I'm doing this. And to start simply, I've, I've always hated to see people suffer. My whole life, if there's ever been anything I can do to alleviate someone's suffering somehow or to help them out in any way, I've, I've always done all I can to do just that. I set my whole life up from an early age with big ambitions of, of helping people at the largest scale that I could imagine. Uh, my plan was basically to get rich and retire by 29 so I can spend the rest of my life in service to others. I mean, I was a teenager when I came up with it, but that's, that's where my heart was. I got my first job when I was 13 years old. I was caddying for a local golf club, and I worked my way into college classes at 15 so I could graduate high school with my diploma and my associate's degree at the same time. And this put me on track to graduate with my bachelor's at about 19, 20 years old. And during this time, I was really involved with my church and volunteering in the community. And, and I was soon to start a business. I was playing golf competitively and writing and producing music. I was, I was always doing something. And I was really convinced that I was convinced nothing could stop me. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. One day when I was walking back to my car after classes, I got in my truck and this overwhelming tiredness and fatigue just came upon me out of nowhere. And so much so that I called the doctor. I was, I was, it was alarming. And they told me maybe it was, you know, finals or maybe I was stressed about something not to worry about it. And so I took that to heart. I, I assumed that I'd, I'd probably be okay. But soon the fatigue got worse. I started losing interest in the things that I was the most active in. I wasn't playing golf anymore. I wasn't doing my music anymore. And slowly I stopped attending classes. I couldn't make it. I couldn't wake up in time. And I quit my job. And a year later, my life looked drastically different than it had before. Finally, I went back to the doctor and he told me, but should have been obvious, that I had severe depression. It wasn't something that came on because of a tragedy or because of anything else specific. It ran in the family, and this is the age it typically presented itself. As the years went on, I, I learned to manage. I was able to start a business and move out on my own, and I learned how to get by and, and get through life the best I could until it progressively got worse, until I was barely able to even work anymore. The doctor said there was really no cure. Hopefully, through diet and medication, I could manage, but... They told me to accept that I may have to deal with this the rest of my life. At this rate, I was not only going to not make my goal of retiring by 29, but I was really in danger of, of losing everything. I just, and, I, and I came to a point where I had to decide if I don't do something drastically different now, my dreams could be lost forever. So I researched and I interviewed and, 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 and talked to people and, and experts in the field and tested like I never have before. I tried different supplements and vitamins and found a way to improve my sleep and tried different uh, diets. I tried the ketosis diet and some other things and I started exercising with friends and uh, doing different types of meditation and little by little through extreme trial and error after a year of just a grueling process I hacked my way into a cure for my depression. All my symptoms gone. I got all my life back. I got my happiness back. It, it took a lot of work to sustain it but I did it. My life was going in a really bad direction, and I figured out a way to get it back on course. I used this time to grow my business, and I started doing a marketing business, and I was designing products, uh, some that were sold in over 400 stores nationwide. 
I helped a local restaurant expand from two locations to six within a couple years. I helped a nonprofit fundraising organization raise over $500,000 in its first year. Uh, I've done a lot of consulting with other nonprofits that help children locally where I live, and some that are even taking care of an orphanage in Haiti, one that I've had the pleasure of visiting myself and, and doing some volunteer work. I made a documentary about that trip, actually, about that trip to Haiti and about the, the work that's going on down there and how much help they still need. I got to consult for some awesome speakers and authors. I have directed other award-winning films about causes that I felt were important. And I've been able to be mentored by great professionals in my space along the way. I was able to sort of get my life back together. I, was, I, was, I felt like if I could capitalize on the momentum that I was creating, maybe I could still get there. Maybe I could still retire at 29 or at least have a life where I could really do the things I always wanted to do and help at the largest scale imaginable. But either way, for the first time in my life, I was optimistic about my future again. I had my passion back. I was really loving life and I felt so genuinely happy. It made me realize I hadn't felt happy in, in years. Until one day when I was getting up, going to the kitchen, I have a two hour routine that I do in the mornings to get me ready for my day. There's this uh, vegetable green drink that I make and. Just when I was finishing the last sip, at the end of the cup, I noticed this small dot. And for a second, I didn't know if it was in the cup or if it was coming from my eye. And it was pretty small, didn't think much of it. If it was in my eye, I figured, you know, it's probably just some dust, it'll go away. But morning after morning, I would, I would see that. And I would notice that when I would look up to my cabinets, some white cabinets that I have, I'd, that dot would still follow me. Again, it was fairly small. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, and so I just carried on. During this time, I spent a lot of time outside. I'm a, I'm a big golfer. I like to go out for walks, and I like to go for jogs every now and then. And We had some wildfires in our areas that was creating a lot of smoke, and my eyes started to get dry, and I noticed they were getting a little more blurry. And I developed this, this really large vein in my right eye, and for some reason I didn't get it checked out. I just assumed that it would go away. They were maybe just extremely bloodshot, and I let it go. And um, I also took a little bit of time off uh, for about a week or so at the end of uh, September. And the first time I went back outside for my morning routine, going for my walk, I looked up to the sky and that one little dot had to become about six or seven of them. And some were round and some were kind of stringy. And I'd never seen anything like that before. I felt like a huge weight of stress just, just hit me. And I, I, to say I was concerned would be an understatement. I immediately went back to my house and called the doctor. Set up a optometry visit and basically they told me that I had cineresis developing. The vitreous in my eye was, was liquefying and that's a somewhat normal thing to happen. It wasn't necessarily normal for someone my age to get it, but they told me, don't worry about it. It's not dangerous. You don't have any tears in your retina and you'll be fine. It probably won't get that much worse. It'll probably get worse later on in your life, but You'll learn to ignore them. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And so I, I decided to, to take their advice. Okay, well, you know, these, these kind of, they kind of suck, but I'm, I'm sure I can, I can figure out a way to deal with them. Right around that time, uh, me and my, my film team had a uh, film festival we were attending up in Alaska, and I was really looking forward to the trip. Alaska is a beautiful state. I'd been there when I was young, and I was looking forward to, to seeing the state again. But on the airplane ride over there. I noticed that they were getting a little bit worse. Obviously, seeing the sky, it was very bright. 
I noticed I was getting a few more of them. And I also noticed that I had a new symptom, something that I would later learn was called visual snow. When we arrived in Alaska, I did my best to try to enjoy myself with the team, but every chance I got, usually when we were back in the hotel, I was researching for hours, trying to figure out what was going on. And through my research, I, that's where it really set in that what I have here is permanent and could possibly get much worse. And that's when the anxiety really set in. And that's where that optimism that I had learned to develop just a few short months ago seemed to be fading away. I tried my best to stay in good spirits when, when I was around my team. I wanted us to really enjoy the festival. We, this was a big accomplishment for us. We were at an international film festival having our film showed among some other really great films that were being made that year. We had some fun. We went ice fishing. We went up to the mountains and, and saw some beautiful sights. We had a really good time. But the, the more beauty we saw, the more I was confronted with this ugly new reality. After the last day of the festival, our team went out to dinner. And as we were walking in, I, I told them I had a business call that I had to take and I had to meet them a little bit later. Really, I just needed an excuse to be on my own for a little. I took a walk around the city of Anchorage, which is a beautiful city, but I was feeling intense fear about my future. This hopelessness started to come back and in a way I really never had it before. And the things that I dealt with before, I really believed that something could be done about them. This was the first thing that I was handling that, at least on paper, there really was no light at the end of the tunnel here. I had just been through the toughest fight of my life with my depression, and, and now I have to fight something all over again? With something that apparently has no cure? Something I would just have to live with for the rest of my life? All these questions, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. What do they get worse? How much worse? What do they get? Could I still enjoy a walk in the park or a beautiful sunset? Was it worth it to travel anymore? Could I still do photography? I'm a big golfer. Was that something that I could still do going forward? Can I still be happy with them? Is this something I'll just have to live with until I die? I was trying to find something positive desperately. I was, I was trying to find the beauty in it. One of my mentors always taught me to ask yourself when something bad was happening, when, 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 when circumstances just seemed like they were as low as they could get, where is the good in this? Because usually if you can spin something so you can see it as a learning experience, so you can see it as a way to help people in the future or to gain a new opportunity you wouldn't have had otherwise, you can change your state of mind. And I was really, really trying and I really couldn't find anything. But it did remind me of something. This wasn't the first time I was facing something that I was told had no cure. My doctor said my depression was something I'd have to live with for the rest of my life. But I defeated it. I kicked it out of my life with strategy and determination. My whole life I've been doing things that people said couldn't be done. Because that's just who I am. That's my identity. I fight because I can't stand unfair and unjust bullshit. I'm not someone who lays down and allows things to happen like this. I have a hard time accepting things for how they are, which is probably why they affect me so hard, but it's also why I find solutions that others don't. I surround myself with people like this, and when we come together, the things we've been able to do and the things we're going to do in the future, 
it's going to be because of that rejection of accepting bad news for just what it is. We are not going to live with something that we don't have to live with. It's why I've decided I'm not going to accept anything but the best for my life. And if a cure for floaters turns out to actually be impossible, then I'll be the best at dealing with them. But I just don't think that that's true. And I'm certainly not willing to give up until I've explored every possible option. During my Alaska trip, I, I had about seven of them. At the time of recording this podcast, I must have over a hundred. I've developed new symptoms. The, the visual snow has gotten worse. I now have these strange negative after images. But the worse my sight gets, the more clear it has become that something has to be done. Because when you look out there, surprisingly, you don't see much being done at all. And what is being done is, is not having a lot of success, unfortunately. And that's frustrating. It's discouraging. And it prevents others from getting active in this fight. There are many people just like us suffering from this. You can tell just by the high activity in the forums and the blogs. But no one has been able to truly capitalize on our willingness to fight, to understand this, to unite us into one movement. And before we create our own plan, we have to understand really what hasn't worked before so we can adjust and create something that has a higher chance of succeeding. So we've laid out three of the biggest problems of why we think that other attempts to fundraise and to uh, bring the community together haven't been successful. The first one, when we look at forums and Facebook, Reddit groups, which I'm sure anyone listening has spent quite a bit of time on, I, I know I have, they can be very helpful because you can find information on there and you can obviously speak to a community and feel support from other people who are going through this. But unfortunately, there's unverified information on there and there's unverified claims. There's a lot of false hope and sometimes false pessimism also. It's easily infiltrated by scams and it's, it's really just an uncontrolled environment. It's hard to keep everyone on the same page. So ultimately, an organized movement can't really be created out of this setup, which is why they tend to become more and more inactive as time goes on. The second problem has been Facebook pages. And there are so many of these forums and Facebook groups all over the place that it scatters us all over the internet. And it's really hard to know how many people are struggling with this and to bring everyone together into one cause or to one goal. Because generally they can only reach out to that one set of followers that they have. The second issue we found is with Facebook pages and really the use of social media in general. You can put social media accounts generally into one of two categories, active communities and passive communities. There are some pages right now about iFloaters that have a sizable amount of followers, some in the tens of thousands, but engagement with their posts tend to be fairly low. These types of pages can generally best be described as news aggregators. They, they post recent news and developments, but, but they're not necessarily creating that news or furthering those developments. There's, so there's not a lot for people to really find tangible hope in or that encourage people to take action. So there's really no way to direct people's passion. It's a passive experience. The problem not only being that it doesn't inspire action, but the less followers are engaging with posts, the less Facebook shows those posts to all the followers. Those numbers can easily go under 10% of page followers who actually see the content of the page that they liked because Facebook's algorithm basically decides that if you're not interacting with posts from this page, then maybe you're not all that interested. So you start seeing less and less of them over time. So if we're going to do this, we need to have an active community. Not active just in responding to the content and to the posts that we put out there and to the progress that we're making, but active in helping to create that content 
and creating that progress. The third largest problem we've seen is failed attempts to fundraise. Others have tried to fundraise and have gotten some surprising support, but most of the ones we found have all failed to reach their goal. One of the biggest reasons is because generally the goals are general and nonspecific, and these types of goals aren't inspiring. To say that we want some money for ongoing research and to help fight the cause in and of itself doesn't necessarily inspire people to take action because they don't know where their money's going. They don't necessarily know what's going to be achieved and, and it really just isn't enough to get people passionate. Think of sports, for example. Generally, each sport has a regular season and then they have some sort of championship. And it's because we can't just play over and over and over and over again and, and, and keep people interested, even keep the players interested. We have to have a specific goal that we look to that we decide that we want more than anything else. And all of the work we do is in a lead up to that and in preparation for that, because that is what we want to achieve. Non-specific goals generally don't inspire action. They don't encourage contributors. They don't incentivize researchers. Without a goal and a deadline, there's really no pressure. There's, there's no urgency. There's no commitment to a specific outcome. There's no plan B if that outcome isn't reached. There is no follow-up plan. Bottom line, for a goal to be reached, it has to be compelling. It has to be achievable, and it has to be specific. Specific outcome, specific timeline. So if we're going to do something, we cannot be general. We cannot feel like we are spinning our wheels. We have to have tangible ways to measure if what we are doing is having success or not, so we can make swift adjustments and stay on track. If we are going to create a new movement, the biggest movement this cause has ever seen, we cannot be held back by these problems. We can't lose momentum and we cannot fail, which is why the plan I'm about to present focuses mainly on correcting those problems, those very problems that have stopped virtually every movement in the past. So what we have for you is a two-phase plan with one objective, to find and fund a cure to all types of eye floaters. And let's go over it. Phase one will focus on finding the cure. This phase is divided into three steps. Step one is to create one platform to unite sufferers. Why is this important? There is tremendous, undeniable power in numbers. That's how movements are started, not just with the large number, but with the growing number. You can't ignore a crowd. The more people we have involved on one platform, the more leverage we can create with the health industry. The more attention we can demand, the more change we can make. We need everyone who suffers from this horrible condition to gather in one location online for a public number for all to see so everyone can see how much we care about this and that there are way more people struggling with this than they ever knew. By putting your name on this community, you are not just saying you are interested in learning about floaters, but that you're committed to fighting for a cure and are willing to fund it. Because if we can show whoever has the power to make this cure, that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are ready to pay them for that cure or whatever procedure they may come up with, that is really going to light the fire under them. And that will definitely speed up our process of actually being able to make this into a reality. That will substantially increase their incentive to give us what we're looking for. So in this effort, we're gonna have three main platforms, starting with this podcast. This podcast will be the main way that we communicate with you and the main way for us to communicate with the research community and anyone else who wants to help. This is how we're going to give you the best value by creating a show that can keep you informed with the latest research, that can get you in touch with those actual researchers and doctors and other experts who are making progress in this field, and really to give you a way to ask them questions directly. 
We can take in your emails and your calls and we can have them respond to some of your concerns directly. This is also a great way to get answers to questions I'm sure we've all had. What makes these floaters worse? Is there anything we can do to stop them from getting worse? How can I prevent this for my children in the future? Is there really any hope on the horizon? We can get these answers straight from those who know the most about this topic. We'll bring you inspiring stories of people who have triumphed and lived their best lives in spite of their floaters. Because while we are looking for a cure, it's really important that we do not allow it to hold us back and take anything more away from our lives than it already has. Ultimately, having a podcast makes it easier for you to take in the content. By using audio as our main medium, it allows you to listen at your convenience. While you're working, while you're driving, while you're working out, whatever you may be doing, it's an easy way to make sure that you can catch every episode and stay up to date with the newest information and our most recent progress. The second platform will be a website. This website will concentrate on curated articles, keeping you up to date with the most recent news and developments, but more importantly, creating content ourselves to explain this issue in greater detail, debunking myths and giving support and methods of coping with this problem until a solution is found. It's really important to mention here that we will never sell any supplements or any fake solutions or misleading products. Our goal is not to give you false hope. It is to inspire you to take action with us to find a real cure that can benefit everyone. The third platform will be a large social media following. This is where that public number will be shown. With active participation from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the goal here will be to reach out to the public to find more sufferers and bring them to helpful resources on our website and podcast. Our social media accounts are not just going to be general posts and updates. They will be designed with you in mind, keeping you engaged and helping you grow, not just in your knowledge, but as a person, to grow in your potential, We'll have challenges. We'll ask you to get involved by writing and sharing your story, give you templates for ways to tell your family and friends about your condition in a way that they're going to understand, how to support others, how to talk to your doctor to get the most out of your visit. We are here to support you. And I promise you, with this commitment, you will not just be a number. We care about each and every one of you individually, and we want to give you a unique experience, which is why we want to have ways for you to be able to share your story and to ask your questions and for us to be able to find ways to give you the resources that you need. We're going to have team members living the most out of their lives and inspiring you to do the same because that's really what we are fighting for, isn't it? To enjoy our lives to the fullest potential without anything holding us back or stealing our joy. We're really trying to do something different here. And hopefully this will be evident as we start releasing these things. On to step two. This one's very important. We need to get small fundraising wins. At the end of the day, the medical field is going to be most motivated by the potential of profit. It's one thing to show them that we can get many people united into one group. It's a whole other thing to show them that we are willing to fund their goals and cures. If we can show to be possibly the first community to successfully raise a set goal amount, we can make some real noise in this industry and prove that there actually is a market for this. If they think there is money to be made, you will start seeing much more activity and research in this area, I promise you. But what will we fund? What will the money go towards? That brings us to the last step in phase one, and by far the biggest one, and the culmination of everything we'll have done up to this point, which is step three, uniting the research community. This is where we have the biggest chance to do something different and really something incredible. There have been various attempts to research different cures, but all of these attempts are generally scattered throughout the world. They're trying different methods, 
They're not feeding off the same information. Generally, they're not communicating with each other about their successes and failures. So progress has become very stagnated and there has been no unified effort here. We want to change that. We will set up what appears to be the first ever global eye floaters conference. We will invite the top researchers and ophthalmologists in the world to present their research, get them in one room, and most importantly, establish a mutual knowledge base and come to a consensus on one line of research that they can all begin on together, dividing up different tasks among each other and consistently communicating. The goal here will be to have complete focus on one or two strategies at a time for possible cures. And maybe just as important, to find official answers to questions doctors have not been able to provide. Why are they getting worse? Why do some get them so young? Why am I getting so many? Is there anything I can do to stop them from progressing? If we can do research to find official answers to these questions while we're looking for a cure, possibly we can find official ways to prevent them from getting worse in the meantime. By assigning certain researchers certain questions, agreeing to specific timelines, and assisting them in any way we possibly can, we can start developing a knowledge base about this condition that didn't exist before. For those researching cures, we will also encourage complete focus. They will come back to us with a specific strategy, if it's trying to use nanotechnology, other types of eye drops, or a less invasive version of the vitrectomy. They tell us how long they need and how much they need, and we will provide them with assistance. And how are we going to do that? Once this conference has been established, that will begin phase two. Phase two will be about funding the cure. Once they come back to us and tell us that we believe if we do X, Y, and Z in this amount of time, we can give you a cure. Then what we will do at that point is to officially start this nonprofit so that we can start taking in donations and using that money specifically to fund those research efforts. This won't be used for general fundraising. This will not be used for ongoing research. This will be used for very specific and very visible research efforts that you will have the chance to see for yourself. You will see the progress that is being made and exactly where your money is going. We'll start a national advertising campaign for a full-scale effort to attract all sufferers all over the globe. Never before has there been this much action in the fight for a cure to eye floaters. And I actually don't think we'll even have to fight for that long. There have been enough research projects out there that look promising, but for some reason or another, they lacked support, they lacked the budget, and they slowly dismantled. So if we can help them in this area, with the rate that medical technology is advancing, it may not have to take that long at all. But remember, none of this can be done unless we stand together, unless we invite others to join, unless we stay active in the community, and unless we grow it as large as we can. Unless we have a strong, active community, we won't get the attention we deserve. We won't produce any leverage, and we won't inspire action or motivation. But I see that as our power. If our biggest obstacle is us, that means we have the control. This isn't about luck or even hope. It's about a choice. We can choose to be the largest community. We can choose to be active. We can choose to raise the money we need when needed. We can choose to help others when they need us. And I think we can choose to find a cure. Some will tell us that that's impossible, but that's just their opinion. That's just what people say when they don't see the vision. The vision of a world where floaters don't cause any fear, where they don't challenge our dreams, where you can travel anywhere and enjoy it to the full, where you can go to the park with your children without distraction or misery, where you don't have to worry about your children getting them. A world without sunglasses, or at least not as many of them. A world where you can say that because of you, eye floaters are a thing of the past. 
If this is the world you want to create, then let's commit from this moment on to build this community, the community that will be responsible for finding the cure. And let's make that commitment public. A Facebook page has been created called the I Floaters Action Movement. There is one post pinned to the very top where the first line reads, are you committed? On that post, if you want to get involved, simply comment, I'm committed, and follow that page. Those who get started with us today will be leaders with us tomorrow. And if we're able to create this giant family of fellow sufferers and expand this research and find a cure, who knows? Maybe getting eye floaters will end up being the best thing that ever happened to us. For the next episode, we're planning a very special guest for you. There's already a lot of exciting developments in the research field and some new things that some people haven't heard about. And I think if you hear it straight from the source, it might give you as much hope as it gave me. So we're fighting really hard to get that guest for you. So until then, to recap, we're asking for three things from you. If you want to help grow this movement, please send this podcast to two people that you know would get value out of hearing this. Second, please find us on Facebook by opening up Facebook on your phone or your computer and searching I Floaters Action Movement. It will have a blue profile pic with the name on it. Find that first post and comment, I'm committed, and follow that page. Lastly, if you want to get more involved, we are looking to bring on team members that can help us achieve these goals, mostly to help with creating the content for both social media and for the website. We're looking for content creators. We're looking for researchers, for writers, for translators. Anything you can do that you believe will help out with this, we would love to hear from you. Our email is the acronym for iFloaters Action Movement. So it's E-F-A-M-Contact at gmail.com. That's efamcontact at gmail.com. Of course, if you have any other questions or comments or thoughts about this show, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us using the same email. So with that, thank you very much for listening to this first episode. We are looking forward to growing with you and we have very big plans for the future. We have a great episode in store for you next time. And until then, keep fighting and keep smiling. So what I want you to do is, is think about something you want for you, that's real for you, that's important for you, that will give your life some special meaning and power. And I don't even want you to say, I can do that. I don't want you to assume that. See, five years ago, when I started out in this area, I would not have been able to make the mental leap that I would be up to where I am right now. I don't want you to begin to just psych yourself out. No, no. I want you to be able to say something to yourself that will enable you to maintain a level of integrity with yourself. That when you say this, even when you face tremendous setbacks, it, it will be a benchmark to keep you in the game, to keep you moving forward and experimenting and readjusting your strategy and your plan of action continuously, looking for ways to win. So what is that something? When you got an idea, you want to move on. You might not have the money. You might not have the education. You might not have the support or the resources you need. What is that something? that can keep us going, that will enable us to act on our dream. What's one of those keys that will begin to help us to discover the secrets to our dream? Here's what I want you to repeat after me, please, with power and conviction. Say, it's possible. 
So all I want you to do when you look at your dream, you say to yourself every day, it's possible. You say that every day to yourself, it's possible. It's possible.